Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, if you're breathing, say amen. We got most of you. I saw somebody in the back didn't say anything. Uh, we'll lay hands on you at the end of the service. Uh, literally, who's going to stay out late tonight? Who's staying up till midnight? Gosh. The rest of you guys are losers. No, I mean, the rest of you guys... Listen, um, I've been married to that beautiful thing over there for 43 years, and can, yeah. She makes life easy, let me tell you. And so, um, for 44 years, because this is our 44th official New Year's as a married couple, because we spent several before that as well. We got married when we were six and seven years old. Um, <laughs> And so, but this is what we do. Every New Year's Eve, we have, we have this, um, we, we just have this thing, we do. And we do it every time. We don't, we don't mess around, we just do the same thing as tradition, but we have a good time, we have a great dinner, right? And then we're in bed at 10. <laughs> yeah, so we do. That's all I got. But I mean, we're in bed at 10. Uh, we just never stay up, that's okay. You're not sinners if you do. Um, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that you know, we've got our thing, you've got your thing. Hope you have a good time tonight, be safe. Uh, and let's welcome the new year in, not just emotionally and physically, but let's welcome the new year spiritually, amen? You agree with me on that? Let's, have, let's invite God to be a part of what we're going to be doing in the future. As a matter of fact, let me reverse that a little bit. Let's join God in what he's doing and find the blessing, amen? Because I don't want God to join me, I wanna join God. Because that's where the blessing is. And so um, we're in pursuit of the blessing. You know, what is the blessing? The blessing is when you take your life and you say, I want this part a little bit better. You go to the cross of Jesus and you find out that he's purchased it for you because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one and verse three that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus. And so because of that, we want our lives to be better. When Jesus came into a place, what did he do? He made people's lives better. Somebody say better. 13 times in the book of Hebrews, the word better is actually mentioned. And so with Jesus, your life can get better. So I want to challenge you that as you're facing 2024, even if you're carrying a bunch of junk, even if you've got a U-Haul behind you of abuse or trauma or whatever it might be and pain, can I say something to you? That with God and with faith, all things are possible and he can make your 2024 better. But let me tell you something else and here's the bad news about it is that he won't do it without you. He needs you. He needs you to accomplish you. You're a masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece. Uh, the Greek word there is poema. We get the word poem from that. There are no two poems alike. There are no two people alike. God created you specifically as a sonnet for the world. And so your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. And so does 2024. Somebody say amen to that. Let me ask you to stand before I, I got to preach my sermon. I was going to preach something else, but I said, now nah, just go with this, what I brought here this morning. I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me the scriptures that you'll see behind me, focusing on 2024 and what, God, what God's perspective is, what his philosophy is, and what his attitude is as we face this year. Psalm 65 and verse 11. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Now, here's the thing. I require full congregational 
support. <laughs> and if I don't get it, that's quite all right. I'll just stay, I'll preach longer. <laughs> so here's the thing. You want me to speed up, maybe not necessarily in like how fast I preach, but you want this thing, then you got to say amen. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Are you with me? Okay, let's read the, num the next one. Deuter oh, first, I'm going to go back to 6511. God says he crowns the what? Year. The year. Not the day, not the moment, but the year. He's looking at your year. Your year is so important that we see here in the next verse in Deuteronomy chapter 11, chapter 11 verse 12, he says, the promised land, say it with me now, is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the to the when? To the end of the year. Right now, we're at the end of the year, facing the beginning of the year. As soon as we enter into the beginning of the year, the Lord God's eyes will be upon your promised land. What is the promised land? It's not geographic for the Christian is today. It's life in Christ. Amen? It's John chapter 10 and verse 10 where he says, the thief doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. That's the promised land. That's where God calls us to live the life of a New Testament believer where we have authority over the enemy, where we are living for God, where we're seeing other people come to know Jesus Christ, where bodies are getting healed, marriages are getting restored, where the miraculous power of God reaches down to earth and he changes people's lives. That's what we're looking for in 2024. I know this, God's going to crown the year, he's going to make the year abundant, and he's going to look at our year from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. Now, John chapter 1 and verse 50, together, Jesus asked him, do you believe you will see greater things than these. Tell the person next to you, greater things are coming, baby. Look at the person behind you and say, greater things are coming. Okay. You don't say baby to the person behind you because you don't know them, okay? A little bit of church etiquette is necessary here, okay? Okay, don't sit down yet because we've still got some things that we've got to do. Today I want to preach a message as we're knocking on the door of 2024 about how... The choices you make in life actually, actually can become easier when you do them with God. The title of the sermon, if you're looking for a title, is The Choice Is Yours. It's not God's, it's yours. God's already done everything that he needs to do to make your life the way that you want it to be. Now the choice is mine. The choice is yours. And can we take God up on that? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless our pastors right now. We thank you for them. We are grateful for their leadership and for their love and for their example. And Lord, we know they're not perfect, but they are called. And so we bless them, Father God. We cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would honor them and give them rest while they are away, that you would give them restoration also, and that Heavenly Father, you would give them the wisdom and the strength to lead this fellowship into 2024. Give them words. I pray, Heavenly Father, give them authority in the spiritual realm and bless them. Bless colonial kids, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would show up in strength for those kids. You'd speak to their hearts and you would raise them up to become mighty giants for Jesus. And for everyone here within the sound of my voice, including those that are online, Father, may this be a time where we pivot, where we switch, where we're out with the old and we're in with the new. I pray, Father, that you would give us a vision for what the future can be like with you as we walk forward hand in hand. So I pray that you would anoint me now. You would anoint the ears of everyone listening. And Holy Spirit, may you touch every heart that is listening here today so that we might be able to bring honor and glory to you and a faith-filled colonial church shouted, amen. amen. You may be seated.
Uh, researchers show that only about um, a quarter of the people, well, let me back it up. A quarter of the people don't keep their New Year's resolutions at the end of the first week. <laughs> Losers, right? And then, but then half of the people that make resolutions, they stop with their resolutions by the end of January. A full 9% of people are estimated to have carried out their resolutions. Younger people more, make more resolutions than older people. Uh, maybe because the older people are more cynical or jaded, I have no idea, or they just don't have hope. <laughs> you know? Well, today, I welcome you to this house of hope, yeah. where with God, there's always hope, yeah. always hope. No matter how dark it might be, the smallest light will shine. We discovered that last week. There's always hope. Um, but what's the secret sauce, right? What is it that you and I need to do to be able to get to where we feel God is calling us to go to? How do we do that? How do we get there? What do we need from ourselves to experience true change? Are you resolved to carry out your resolution? Are you determined to fulfill your destiny? Are you hand in hand with God? Are you looking to 2024 with the blessing of Almighty God to be upon it? And I want to tell you this and challenge you with this, that you have every, listen, you have every right as a believer because of what Jesus has done to expect a 2024 that's going to be dripping with his goodness and with his abundance. If you don't have your expector up, your faith is not going to rise to that level and you'll never get it because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we need that faith in order to procure what God has for us to bring it out of the heavenly realm into this realm. You know, here on this earth that we are living on, we we, we do business with credit cards, um, cash, Bitcoin, you know, we barter, we trade things, right? We do that kind of stuff. But the currency of heaven has nothing to do with that. The currency of heaven is faith. Because like I said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But it says right after that, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, say God is, God is. and that he is a rewarder, say God does. So God is, he exists, but God is also a rewarder for those who seek him. What is God saying to you? He's, putting, he's not teasing you. He's saying, I've got my promises for you. If you believe in me, I'm going to show up for you. That's what God is saying. There's nothing wrong with that transaction because God said it, right? God's the one who said, this is where we can go. You have faith, you can accomplish all things. For it's all things are possible to him who, say it, believes. But I think we've been led into a false reality as believers sometime. Pray a little prayer, recite a few verses, hit church every once in a while, put some money in the container, and poof, God waves his magic wand and all things are better. But that's not the way that it actually works. I'm sorry, Dawn, but life is not a Hallmark movie. <laughs> and I'm gonna disappoint a lot of you, Ken and Barbie are plastic. <laughs> They're not real. But this is real. Yeah. This is real, yeah. right? This is real. What's going on in here, what's going on in here, what's going on in my life is real. The same thing is true with you. And we were, we were born into a world in which God is needed. We need God. I mean, if you ask me, how do I do leading my life? Just ask my wife. You can see that I don't do well. But when God leads my life, when God's involved in every part of my life, 
I see the blessings flow. And that's, again, what we're after. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. He died so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. You go back to Genesis chapter 12 and you read about the blessing of Abraham and you will see that God says, I will bless you. If anybody curses you, I'll curse them. If anybody blesses you, I'll bless them. I'm going to make you a great nation. He made these massive promises to Abraham, and that's the blessing that is upon you right now. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. Now, you may not feel blessed. You may not look blessed. You, you, you may not look at your checking account and say, I'm blessed. You may not feel your marriage is blessed. You may not feel your body, but you are blessed. When we start from a position of what the word of God says as a foundation for our future, then we start from the position of we are blessed, right? Jesus already purchased that for us. We're not trying to get blessed. We are already blessed. We enter in by faith into the blessing of Almighty God. We're going to look at that today and seeing what God wants us to do. Now, the bulk of the New Testament is really about change. It's about the evolution of the human being. Uh, the New Testament authors, they compare the old life with the new life, the old nature and the new nature, the old man and the new man. In the New Testament, people were following Jesus, and then they stopped following Jesus. They had these choices that they made. There were 10 lepers that got cleansed. Nine of them left. One of them came back and kneeled at Jesus' feet and thanked him and worshiped him. People do that all the time. The disciples left their homes. They left all of their families. They left their jobs so that they can follow a life that is better. Somebody say better. See, when you leave what is there, what we're used to, and what's our default mechanism, and go into what God wants, that's when you find the exciting life. It's the faith life that God calls us out to. We walk by faith and not by sight. You may not know where you're going, but God's going to be there when you get there, I promise you. He's going to walk along with you while you're there. He'll hold your hand. His hand is upon your back. He'll lead the way. He'll go before you and straighten out the crooked places because he'll never leave you or ever forsake you. And right now, in the midst of what you might even be going through, he lays out a table in the presence of your enemies. What does he want you to do? He wants you to look at your enemy and then look down at the banqueting table that he made for you. He wants you to relax. He wants you to enjoy the food. He wants you to enjoy the life. And he said, I, got take, I can take care of that guy out there. You just eat your meal, sit down, and hang out with other people. That's what God wants to do for your life and my life because he's already taken care of the enemy. Amen. He's already taken care of the enemy. Then why does the enemy bother us so much? Why, why does that happen? I think there's a few reasons why, and we're going to look at four choices that Abraham, I'm sorry, that Moses made uh, in his life that helped him to experience the victory of Almighty God. Are you with me? Because we're going to go fast. You ready? I hope you take notes. If you're not taking notes, you're just not taking notes. That's all there is to it. Uh, one other thing I want to say before I go on is this. Change yourself, change your life. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> so should, I, should I do it again? Yeah. yeah. Change yourself, change your life. Yeah. See, oh, there we go. We got somebody that's alive. See, what we're talking about is everybody wants the person next to them to change. Thank you, Jesus. Just change him or change her, right? Change your boss. Change your, your, your work environment. Change your vehicle. Change your home. Change whatever it is. Change this. This changes. Change this. This changes. Jesus brought change outside because of what was in him. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, he extended the power of God to those that were needed and their lives were changed. They had that event with Jesus where they were, their, 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 their trajectory was forever changed as a result of having a run-in with him. Whether they got healed, whether he encouraged them or what, raised them to life, whatever it might have been, it was something dramatic because of Jesus. And I want to encourage you today that you can have that same type of result within your life. Well, we're going to talk about Moses. Four choices that Moses made. And uh, before we do that, most of you know about Moses. He was born at a time when Pharaoh heard about this prophecy that a deliverer was about to be born. So what did Pharaoh do? He did in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, I want you to kill every baby boy and I want you to let every girl to live. This is, what Moses, this is what the Pharaoh did, trying to kill Moses. He didn't know who Moses was. He just knew that there was some baby that was born, and as a result, we're going to go ahead and kill all the babies. That's what he said. See what started back then? Continues today. People want to protect themselves so much that they'll kill what's around them. Rather than receive from God, that will live on forever. So when we look at the life of Moses, Moses was called from an infant to be the deliverer. And he was to be a type of Christ because Jesus is our deliverer and Moses was a type. Now, parents, let me say something to you that when Moses, we'll read a verse in just a second about Moses' parents said that he was beautiful. Let's put that up there first of all. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden uh, for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was what? Beautiful. Beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Listen, I've uh, been in ministry for a number of years, several decades, and uh, seen a lot of babies born. I haven't seen them born, thank God. But I mean, I was like in the area, you know, like on the lower level, something like that. And I come in after everything's cleaned up and looking good, and they're looking at the baby, and the parents are looking at the baby, and they go, oh, look at the baby, so beautiful. I'm like, what are you looking at? No offense, Benny, where is he? He's out there, okay. So, no offense. But anyway, so, but the parents love their kids. But that's not what Moses, Moses' parents were saying. Oh, he's so beautiful and good looking that God's got something for him. No, they said, God's got something for him. That's what makes him beautiful. And as parents, we look at our kids and we say, God's got something for you. You're a beautiful child. See, Michelangelo had the right idea. Michelangelo was asked one time, how does he make such beautiful statues? He says, well, I look at the rock, I look at the marble, I look at the stone, whatever it is, and I chip away what doesn't belong. And as parents, as we're raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to raise them to be giants for Jesus, somebody say amen to that, we chip away what doesn't belong there and allow God to raise up that child so they can be somebody that's not just productive, but useful in the kingdom of Almighty God. And your parenting never ends, by the way. Never ends. It doesn't. Your, your, your kids could be old. They could be away from God. They could be close to you. They could be far away from you. As a parent, you still pray for them. As a parent, you still have spiritual authority over them. As a parent, you can still speak blessing over them. Somebody say amen with me. Because we do not want our generation of kids to be lost to the world. We want them to be living for Jesus. Amen? That's the goal. See, the goal is not to have a bunch of kids. So look at all my kids. I've got a guy this new Tahoe so I can put all my kids in here. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody else, okay? And so what I'm saying is that we don't just get kids to gather kids. We get kids with a purpose. There's a design upon them. They're beautiful. There's a destiny. There's a calling. Just like there's a calling on your life. The calling on your life, by the way, the minute you conceived. God said, I knew you. I fashioned you in, in your mother's womb. I saw all your parts, even though they weren't finished. I knit you. I wove you together. If you're breathing here today, your life has meaning and your life 
has purpose. You know how special you are? You actually began in a race with about 150, 200 million other participants. And when you took off, baby, you were swimming like there was no tomorrow. You're elbowing the guy next to you and you're just trying to get up there, right? You're moving in, you're moving out, and finally you make it. You're there. And God's blessing that. It's called conception, by the way. It's PG-13. And your life has a, has a privilege to be a part of what God, God started that in the womb of your mother. Whether you were wanted as a child or not, God wants you. It matters not what your parents have said to you, what your, what your foster parents have said to you, what your parents that left you alone have said to you. God wants you. You're important. You're valuable. You have meaning. He died for you. You have a life to live. If you're breathing and your heart is beating, there's a purpose for your life. Take it up with God for 2024 and see what he's got for you. I am so way off. Let's go. Point number one. The first thing that Moses did is Moses chose. Did we finish reading the scripture? We didn't. We didn't. Verse 20. Thank you, Chris. Uh, verse 24. Let's get there. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, uh, this is not, guys, this is not like when your wife tells you to grow up, grow up, okay? It's like when he became of age. Okay? Most of the guys are not saying anything. <laughs> Smart. Uh, by faith, when Moses, uh, when he was grown up, he refused, somebody say refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, you would think that anybody would want to be identified with nobility. You, you would think anybody would want to be identified with somebody that's an authority and somebody that has power. We gravitate towards that. Uh, this is our life. This is what our culture is about today. How many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? How many people, how important you are? How many times you're on the news? Can you get your 10 minutes of fame? We gravitate towards that. There's heroes in the world, but don't get me wrong. There's heroes in the Christian realm as well. But the only hero that there should ever be is Jesus, amen? No other hero, I don't care how good of an author that person might have been, how well they can speak or how well they can sing. All of that is great, but it was a gift that was given to them. And how can you boast of a gift if it was given to you? All the glory goes to God. If you're doing something for Jesus, you want to be Teflon. Let none of that stuff stick to you. You want to be a mirror. Reflect all the glory back to God because all you and I are, are we are just people that are sojourning, passing through. God gives us an assignment. We follow that assignment out and here, we're seeing Moses doing the same thing. First point, I'm not going to read all that scripture. First point, Moses chose to be defined by God. Moses chose to be defined by God. He refused to be identified with Pharaoh. The people that raised him, he said, no, I'm out. Others have done it as well. Moses was looking at his future of royalty Moses was looking at the fastest chariots around. Moses was looking at obelisks and stonework with his name on it. He was looking to that fame. But I will tell you this, that all those names have faded and crumbled in the dust, but the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. His name is mentioned over 850 times in the entire Bible. So he didn't give much up. I promise you that. There's a thousand plans out there for you, child of God. Our culture tries to impress their will on you. 
But I want you to look at a scripture for the very first time, Jeremiah 29, 11, and see this. For I know, God said, I, somebody say no. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Not whispers. He declares this. Sometimes I think that God shouts from heaven through his word by the power of the spirit all of his blessings for you and I to hear, but the enemy seems to shout louder or we pay attention to that more. How many of you have ever thought that my life doesn't have meaning or it really doesn't have purpose or there is no plan or I'm not that important or whatever, but we have a promise from God right here that is settled in heaven forever that I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. What are the plans that he has? Look what the plans he says. These are the plans to prosper you. Say the person next to you. Say, God wants to prosper you. Okay, now, let's, let's take our Western mindset of, of prosperity and define to what biblical prosperity actually is. Biblical prosperity is wholeness and well-being in every area of my life. It doesn't mean I have 10,000 cars or 20 properties. And, and you want to have that? That's fine. It's not a sin to have that just as long as those things don't have you. Right? So that, that, that's, that's where we're at. So anyway, let's move on. He says that Jeremiah 29, 11 plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Not. Not to harm you. That's it. What does this tell us? This tells us that anything that's bad that you've ever experienced within your life is not from God. It's It's not. There should be an emphatic amen about that. Because God is good. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. (laughs) Jesus reversed that and said, I've come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. I think one of the first things that we need to do for 2024, this is not even in the notes or anything else like that, is to have, make a quality, sound decision that we are going to believe that God wants to prosper us and not harm us. God wants to prosper us and not harm us. Let me say it again. God wants to prosper us and not harm us. God wants to prosper us and not harm us. God does not want to harm us. He wants to prosper us. God wants to enlarge your life. He wants to make your life bigger. He wants the dreams that he's placed on the inside of your heart to come to the outside. He wants your life to matter. He wants you to make a difference. He wants you to enjoy relationships. All of these things are talked about within the New Testament, but he also wants us to change. Because I can't keep doing things the way that I've always done it if I want to really experience the blessings of God which are in front of me. Does that make sense? So Moses refused to be defined by God. See, your friends cannot define you even though sometimes they do. Your parents shouldn't define you even so sometimes they do. God is who defines me, amen? I get my definition from God. I know who I am from God. I am a child of God. I am bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There is therefore now no condemnation of Upon me. I know that the blood of Jesus washes away every stain, every sin that I've ever committed, past, present, and future. I know that God has adopted me and calls me his own. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brothers. I know that where I'm going is going to be an eternity with Almighty God because of what Jesus has done for me. I am a child of God. That's it. Black and white. Full stop. I am a child of God. And if you wake up every day, 
You see, God, it's you and me. I'm your child. Let's go do this because this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God's made the day for you. So maybe we just change our perspective just a little bit and look up instead of looking down. Maybe we should look in and say, I am a child of God and believe and believe that as a result of that, that we are part of God's family and that our heavenly father is going to take care of us. Okay, Uh, let's go to number two. You ready? Uh, Number one, Moses chose to be defined by God. Number two, you're going to love this one here. Moses chose to do the hard thing. (laughs) Who said yeah over here? Of course it was Phyllis. (laughs) (laughs) Moses chose to do the hard thing. Um, Hebrews 11.25. Choosing, speaking about Moses, rather to be mistreated, that's pain, with the people of God, that's slavery, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, the palace of Pharaoh. He chose. (laughs) He chose the pain. He chose that. He chose the rejection. He chose that. He did it because he had a call of God upon his life. He understood that short-term pain equals long-term gain. Short-term pain equals long-term gain. You've heard the other phrase, no pain, no gain, right? Noah was alone. Abraham left his family. The disciples left their jobs. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are hard. You know, if you want to lose weight, you just, simple. You sacrifice a donut a day. It's that easy. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Father, forgive me for I just sinned. Um, if you want to save money, you got to stop spending. If you want to spend more time with God, you got to carve out a section of time. All of those things involve sacrifice of some sort. I'm going to sacrifice a donut. I'm going to sacrifice money. I'm going to sacrifice time. Short-term pain. Long-term gain. See, when it comes to relationships and more specifically marriage, uh, there's nothing short-term about any of that stuff. It's all long-term. It's all long-term. Because I remember hearing somewhere, till death do us part, right? And so I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but I'm trying to say, if you're currently in a relationship, in a marriage right now, can I tell you something? You'll die with that person. And what, what I'm saying is that you want to end up 95 years old, crawling into bed with your teeth falling out, wrinkles, no hair, with the same person that you married. That's security. That's what God's, God's designed that. Hey, I did a marriage one time, uh, and we were in Georgia. This is funny. This has nothing to do with the message, but I think you're going to like the story, okay? Um, and these, th- this couple, they lived next to each other uh, for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and they decided that in their late 80s, they were going to get married. So, and, uh, so we went into their living room, and Dawn, I don't know if you were there or not, but uh, I married them, and I said, you may now kiss the bride. And when they kissed, both of their teeth fell out. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. 
It was a little awkward. <laughs> Just prayed. And, uh, but what am I saying? Uh, they, they're looking at the long haul. They're, they're looking at the long game. They want to stay into this thing. Sometimes choosing the hard thing can be hard. Number three, Moses chose to embrace what God values. Hebrews 11, 25, and 26, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses simply chose God and said, it's God's way in my life. Joshua said it in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And so this coming year, be defined by God. What does his word say about you? Choose the hard thing to do. Have that hard conversation. Give up the donut. Put $5 away a day. Whatever it is, spend more time with God. Get trained to do something different. Just move forward in 2024 so that we can see the blessing of Almighty God upon our lives. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 2. It says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Team, you can come up. Number one, Moses chose to be defined by God. Number two, Moses chose to do the hard thing. Number three, Moses chose to embrace the things that God values. And let me just stop there for just a second. The world tries to impress its values upon us, dress like us, talk like us, think like us, and that's not freedom. That's not freedom. God releases us to be who we're created to be. Let's embrace that. Finally, Moses chose to live by faith. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid, somebody say afraid, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Moses went up to Pharaoh and he said, see all these people, all those buildings that you're building, uh, that, that obelisk over there? Yeah, that, that's great, but I'm taking all these people. Let my people go. We're, we're going to go and worship God. The most powerful man in the world, Moses challenges. And if you don't know this already, Moses is a type of Christ uh, and Pharaoh is a type of the enemy. Egypt is a type of the world. The promised land is a life that God has called us to live in. There's a transition between the departure and the exodus from Egypt into the entrance of the promised land. And the only thing that stops us from going in there is fear. So what are you afraid of? We're all, we're all afraid. Don't listen. Don't stand there or sit there and say, I'm never afraid. I never, yes, you are. We all get afraid. That doesn't make you a bad Christian if you're afraid. Somebody say amen to that. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. You know what it does? It just makes you afraid. God created a world in which he was needed. So if I'm afraid, I need God. If I'm afraid, I don't know what to do. If I'm afraid, I can't fix it myself. So therefore, I'm going to get to my knees and I'm going to open up the word and I'm going to find out what does God want to say to me. And then my faith goes in God and not in fear. You know, faith and fear have this in common. They both want you to believe something that you cannot see. Does that make sense? Faith and fear have this in common. They both want you to believe in something that you cannot see. So why not choose to roll our sleeves up, get on the faith bus and say, I'm going to believe God's word. I'm going to go forward and I'm going to believe. You know what? You can choose to believe. You can choose to believe. 
The first thing you can do is spend more time in the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So more word, more faith, amen? The second thing you can do is you can tell faith, I'm sorry, fear just to go. What did David say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I will not fear. I will not fear. He didn't say I won't feel fear. He said, I choose not to fear. Somebody shout, I will not fear. So in the dark night, when, when the cold grasp of fear grips a hold of your heart, when you're sweating because you don't know what to do, when your head is spinning because the anxiety is out of control, stand on your own two feet, put your hand in the air and say, I will not fear. And then my friend, you call out to Jesus. I love it what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said this, I was going into the king's presence and I was very much afraid, very much afraid, but I prayed to God. And then he went into the king. He did what he was called to do. You think Moses wasn't afraid? You think Paul wasn't afraid? You think Peter wasn't afraid? Everybody gets afraid. Walking by sight, walking by faith means we can't really see what it's going to be. So therefore, when we enter 2024, we don't know what it's going to be, but we know what it's going to be. We don't know the specifics, but we know the God who's going to be there. We don't know what's happening, but we know that he holds us in the palm of our hands. That's our God. And that's what we're looking forward to in the future. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.